0: Hi everyone, welcome back to First Gen Friends, where I amplify the voices of friends, both old and new, and share their stories and experiences growing up first generation. In today's episode, I interviewed my friend who grew up Asian-Canadian, and his stories really hit home for me, because although I grew up in a Latin household, his upbringing wasn't very different from mine. We talk family, we talk sports, and we also talk about how he plans to raise his daughter in today's diverse world. And please don't mind the construction in the background. I live in New York, and that's just how it goes. <laughs> this is Jason.
1: So my parents are both from...
0: Oh, sorry, I forgot Hi. to introduce you. Duh. Hi. <laughs> Okay, hold on. Sorry, Jason. Welcome to First Gen Friends. Thank you for having me. Of course, I'm so happy am I your to first, have you
1: here. Am, am I your first Canadian?
0: No, I had Danica. Oh, I had Gabby. I had. Oh, yeah. I had a couple oh. Canadians. Yeah.
1: I'm not special anymore.
0: <laughs> Next, <laughs> you are special. Uh, you're my first Asian man.
1: <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> That's something.
0: Perfect.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because when I, as I was listening to the episodes like there's so many similarities in like because i know you've had a lot of like hispanic guests and you guys have like a similar background similar challenges and then i was listening i was like we totally faced the same stuff especially in a country like canada where people have this like i don't know impression that we're like so many different colors and we all just get along and Everything's rosy. I mean, for the most part it is, but growing up, we'll get into
0: drama. So yeah, let's start from the beginning. Where are your parents from and where did you grow up?
1: So they're from, I guess, suburban Hong Kong. That's a thing. Um, So my mom was like from a village just outside of Hong Kong. So literally suburban Hong Kong. Um, And my dad is from a city called Guangdong, which is close enough to hong kong it's in the same the same region they didn't meet there they actually met here uh in toronto they both came over as teenagers and uh it's a really cute story they met but long story short my dad was working in like a like a restaurant because he had to support and then uh my mom came in with my aunt to eat and then my dad was just like my mom went to the washroom or something and then he came and he swung by the table and talked to my aunt and he's like, yo, what's your deal? Like, get me in there. And then my, <laughs> my aunt like hooked it up like before they left. And then that was it. So how old were they? Ah, uh, they were probably in the, like early twenties, mid twenties. So apparently my mom was like a fox. And my dad was like i need that in my life so <laughs> <laughs> but um yes yeah, so they so i'm the youngest uh, of the family i have one older sister and we all grew up uh in suburban toronto so um we grew up in this this town called thornhill and it's literally on the other side of the city limit uh, of toronto so there's this artificial a street that goes east-west, that's like the border of Toronto. And then everything north of Toronto, all the street signs change color. And like, it's this whole different world. So I live like, I grew up like five minutes um, north of Toronto. Um, And we were the only Asian family on the block. So it was like a new construction, like subdivision. And you know, when you like move in, like people move in at different times and kind of scope out who else is going to be your neighbor and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was before the time where like people got organized and they're like in line at the sales office, like buying the actual houses and you like vibe with a certain family. Like, yo, we should live together. And then you go and just like, I'm going to buy my property beside this guy. Yeah. But they didn't have any, they didn't have any of that. Um, and so when we moved in, I remember I was like three and there was like nothing around, but more importantly, I didn't see people that look like me. Before we moved up there, we lived downtown with, like, basically all my cousins. We all lived in, like, this massive... I thought it was massive, but it was actually, like, a townhouse, and there were, like, ten of us in there. And it was fine for what it was. And then I was surrounded by just family, so everyone was like me. And then we moved out to the suburbs. Um, Thornhill became, or was, I'm not sure which came first, but it was a very predominantly Jewish neighborhood. And so everyone on the block was basically Jewish, except us. And so both neighbors on either side of our house were were Jewish. And then that's how I grew up, being like one of the handful of Asians, like going to elementary school um, with like my Jewish friends. And some of them were like Orthodox Jews, and some of them were like just like not religious, but they're still kind of Jewish. And so I knew everything there was to know about what it was like growing up Jewish. Because <laughs> that, that was the, what I was around. So
0: so you were the minority, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Was it a good experience? Were they nice to you? Was it, like, they made, did they make sure you were? You knew you were different?
1: I would say it was a mix of both. Like, I definitely was bullied uh, when I was a kid. Um, and I understand why. Because to me, I was like, I'm just one of these kids. I'm mean, just a kid going to school. But I also knew... When you take class pictures and you get them like afterwards and you're like naming all your friends in the class and your parents want to see, I think very early on, I noticed I'm like, nobody in this class looks like me. <laughs> everyone looks white. everyone was white. And there were a few you know black kids and and um, and Indian kids, but like they're predominantly like no Asians, like specifically. Um, but the the kids I grew up with, They were nice to me just because, like, we played together, you know, after school, before school. We hung out, like, in front of the house when it was still Mm -hmm. safe to do that and, like, played on the street and and did all those things. And then at school, um, there were definitely kids that, um, you know, picked on me because I looked different and, you know, called me names. and, And I was very, I don't know if ashamed was the right word, but, like, like my last name as an example, like when you're a kid and you have this last name that isn't even a common, uh, like Asian last name, uh, people make fun of it. To me, I was like very, um, I took it personally because that was something, I guess very early on, I was like, I know I can't change this because it's my name. And when you're younger, it's like you're ashamed of it. But now I'm like, Yo, my name is Jason Dong what's up? That's like, a cool fucking name. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> and then later, like when you're in your twenties and, and people find out your last name is, it has a different connotation and people are like, Oh, okay. Uh, but when you're growing up, it's like, they call it the ding dong and like all these, like they're, they're the classic names. Um, and, and it got to a point where I, I think I over tried to assimilate like I think I went through that cycle of I don't like being Asian because I'm getting bullied because I'm Asian so I want to try to be someone else or I want to try to fit in so I don't get picked on as much and it started seeping into other parts of my life like going to school and then like the whole you know bringing you know different ethnic food for lunch and like worrying (laughs) about kids wondering like what you're eating why is it different from what everyone else is eating, so I t- started telling my mom like, "We need to stop with the rice and the thermos because <laughs> it's not working for me."
0: <laughs> the goddamn thermos! I yeah. had that too, and yeah, they'd be chicken working. soup, but yeah. you know, it didn't taste like the chicken soup their mom was making, so they were confused. Yeah,
1: exactly. And like I, I like the food because like we would eat it for dinner like the day before kind of thing, and I was like, I can't cannot do this anymore and my mom's like you want me to make sandwiches for you i was like yes like ham sandwiches ham and egg sandwiches all day like i will totally eat that stuff all day um and then and then even just like playing sports i, I purposely sought out to play sports that i didn't see a lot of asian representation in so even back then like when you think of like asians who play sports it was like they play ping pong and they play like badminton and chess but you never saw Asians playing like hockey or baseball or volleyball stuff like that and so I purposely made my parents sign me up for those sports thinking that would be a way for me to have the kids look at me differently and be like oh like even though he doesn't look like me he's like a good teammate or like he's good this sport and therefore like he's more acceptable i guess um oh martial arts yeah that's the other thing like i was like i don't want to do martial arts And my parents are like why we think it'd be like fun yeah but i was like no i don't want to because it felt very asian so
0: it's interesting that that didn't scare you away from playing those sports. Like if I didn't see me in that type of sport, or if I didn't see people like me in that type of sport, I'd be like, no, I can't, I don't, you know, I don't belong there. So that's, I, it's cool that you are more of the, no, I want to be part of this too.
1: Yeah. Like, I guess it was more like if I did everything I could to will myself to be more, Like white or mainstream, whatever the community was, then the more they'd accept me despite how I looked, which is like the most screwed up way to think about. As a kid, like that's what, that's the reality of your your life, right? It's like dictated by like who, like who talks to you, who you hang out with, what they say to you. And now it's like, whatever, just do my own thing.
0: Yeah. And even when we were younger, a big part of what we wanted so badly was to fit in. And that's yeah. every single kid. That's yeah. not just first gen. That's not just Hispanic, Asian. That's every single kid just wants to fit in. So we're all looking around. What's the right thing to do? What's the right thing to say? Yeah. Who do we hang out with? But now add the layer of my race, yeah. my family, how much money we have. Yeah when we don't look like them. So that felt like it added a whole other dimension yeah. for us
1: yeah. that they didn't have to deal with yeah. that
0: they didn't have to think about. But the majority of where we lived, I'm assuming you also were surrounded by people who had money. Oh, yeah. They didn't have to think about, are we going to get evicted? Are we going to lose? Right. Yeah. Are my parents going to lose their jobs because it, they don't have a 401k? Like it wasn't like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't and like these five sports, and these sports
1: were expensive too, especially hockey. Like, Oh hockey. yeah. So like, I remember I wanted to keep playing and my parents were like, we can't keep you in these multiple sports because we can't afford it. And to me at the time I had no concept of money. And I was like, I just want to play. Like, why are not you letting me play? And I threw like the biggest hissy, I remember through the biggest hissy fit. I threw all the equipment all over the house in like protest. Um, And my parents were just like no we can't like we literally cannot keep you in baseball and hockey and like these other things so you have to pick one and hockey was the the hardest one to give up because it was so even back then it was very it's a very canadian thing to do for me it was like that's like the golden ticket it's like if i'm good at hockey or if i play hockey like i'm so canadian and to me like being so canadian meant being so white and, like, like well-off kind of thing. And everyone else in my neighborhood was playing hockey. So so that's why, I, like, it, it stung me the most that I had to give that up. And then later, I obviously felt, like, so bad. I was like, oh, my God. Like, they literally had to, like, choose between hockey and, like, putting food on the table. And here I am, this, like, brat, like, I
0: want to keep playing hockey.
1: <laughs> so. But, but you had no
0: concept of, yeah. of that, and, you know, I just, I feel for your parents in that moment, because that must have been so hard for them to not be able to explain it to you. I just imagine, you know, I mean, I'm not a parent, but wanting to give them something so badly, but not being able to be like, do you want to eat or do you want to play hockey? But also, I feel really bad for you, because it was something so important that you threw a tantrum. So I empathize with all parties in this situation.
1: (laughs) I empathize with them more being a parent. And it's a different dynamic because I can, I'm like, I'm fortunate enough to be able to, if she asked, I could provide all of these things. Um, And then looking back, thinking like, wow, I was like the biggest brat. And I had like another sibling to worry, like they had to worry about. So like it's double, you know, double the expenses, right? So
0: yeah, I yeah. I,
1: pro- I probably apologize for that a few times over the years.
0: What was your family dynamic like then?
1: So, it was a it was a traditional Asian household mixed with you know, like your nuclear family from the 50s, like my mom stayed home and my dad was the sole breadwinner. Um, and there were two of us. So like I never went to like I never went to daycare before school started and so my mom took care of us um both and so that's the nuclear side and then the traditional asian household side was like all the all the like the knickknacks that you find in an asian household like hanging on the wall and stuff (laughs) like that we had all those things um and then it was very it was a very like disciplined household like hard work was like you had to help out basically no matter what age you were you had to there was something to do around the house um, and my mom because she stayed home she was like the the mom the detention the, the teacher she was the head chef she was the CFO like she did everything and so all my dad did was like he went to work and he came home and dinner was magically ready, even though there were two, like, terrors, like, cruising through the house mm-hmm. looking for things to <laughs> to, to play with. Um, and my dad was like, Does your like, stoic, like, Asian dad, you see on TV. Like, never cried. I
0: don't really? Think
1: my, I don't think my dad ever said I love you. Ever. I don't think. He might have said I'm proud of you maybe a handful of times. But he had those, like, you know, like, you hear about stoic dads like that. When they when they get mad at you, you really fucked up if they got mad at you. Because usually a mom would be, like, loud. And she'd be, like, chasing me around with, like, a feather duster or, like, a slipper. <laughs> or something. And then if I... If Again, I
0: was, like, the same.
1: Yeah, if I started getting immune to that, my mom would be, like, I'm telling your father. And then my dad would come home, and mom would be, like, this is what your son did. And then the look my dad would give me, I'd be, like... I'm fucked. Like, I'm going <laughs> to die. I'm going to die in my sleep tonight. Like, that. that's it. Like, it's it's over. He just Shame. Give it me, like, yeah, like, he gave give, like, the, the head shake and, like, the... And then I knew something bad was coming when he got mad.
0: <laughs> Did they both hit but, you or just one of them? Or just your mom?
1: Just, <clears throat> just my mom.
0: Yeah. My same. dad never touched me. Same.
1: So, which is more scary because you're, like, just hit me and get it over with. And then... When he didn't do that, you're like, oh shit, he's going to do something else. Or like, he must be really pissed if he didn't hit us. <laughs> and our that,
0: fear was that our parents would get divorced because of us. Um,
1: we did have, like, my mom would have these outbursts where she'd get mad at my dad for not saying something. If it happened right in front of me, he would say something. Or she'd, she'd say stuff like, why are you just sitting there? I'm the only one that's like teaching and raising and disciplining your kids. And I guess my dad was like, I just put in like 10 hours of work. I just want to go home and eat and just like chill out. Decompress. Yeah. And then my mom was like, do you see what's happening around you? Like, (laughs) Why am I the only person that's saying that that's not okay? Or like, why am I the one that's got the slipper in her hand, like chasing her? daughter and son around <laughs> why are you just sitting in this chair yeah so she she'd be she'd get frustrated with like how uninvolved my dad was in the day-to-day but that said like i think my dad kind of knew his role was very i don't know like strategic is the right word but he basically knew that like he was the breadwinner and he knew yeah. that as long as he kept bringing it in the money would be spent and saved wisely. Mm-hmm. And and he would be around for like big things. Like in all the sports I was playing, like because we only had one car, like he would have the car during the day and he knew my sports schedule and he tried to work his schedule so that he could always take me. And so often like, especially for like baseball in the summer where like me as a kid, like I'm hanging out at home like all day because we're too poor me to go to camp like that was the one thing i looked forward to that day i'm like okay 6:30, i got baseball like i'm ready to go and my dad how i don't know how he managed it but like he worked long hours like every tuesday he managed to come home on time ready to take me to baseball he wouldn't even have time to change or eat like he would take me to the baseball alignment and like in his like like collared short sleeve shirt with the tie. Like that was the, the fashion back in the day. And he would be the only parent, like still like in his work gear, sitting in the stands watching me play baseball. And like poor guy, like he had to sit there for like an hour and a half, two hours, that's how long it takes. And then like he wouldn't eat until like eight, 8.30. And so he was really good about that stuff. Like he, he never missed the game that I played. Um, or if he had to, like, he made sure, like, someone was with me and that kind of stuff. But yeah. then day-to-day, like, he wouldn't, like, discipline me and let my mom do that. So they had this weird divide-and-conquer strategy with the both of us. And I never really felt like he didn't love me. He, I think I just I think he just, like, knew his, his role and the dynamic, and he just accepted it. So...
0: Jason, the fact that he was like going to your games and like making sure you were there and being there, yeah. like that's amazing, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and that goes back to like the stoic part. Like that was his way of showing you, yeah, love exactly. because yeah. he didn't he couldn't say it right. Yeah. Um, and that's really nice. I just got really emotional listening to you tell <laughs> that story because I like, can yeah, just imagine love, that. Like it's his, really his sweet.
1: Love, his love language is definitely acts of service, a hundred percent.
0: Yeah, and so. just like presence right yeah um and i think that that says a lot about a person when they're showing up for you yeah that's really nice what were some of the family values that your parents instilled in you guys
1: yeah i think uh hard work for sure i think that's like the staple backbone value in any asian household um which i think was um so hard work and like just family togetherness and and I know that a lot of Jewish families are like that that's their value as well which I think is why we got along with our neighbors and like our neighborhood because like when we saw them and how they acted and like speaking to them um, like the kids never took a day off like even though they were more well off than us you can tell like they still worked hard and the kids like never forgot that like they don't have maids and they had chores and and whatever else so they were not that different than me and that like I had my own chores and my parents did it the same way that they did it and so um so that was a couple things academics obviously uh was a huge thing like uh I remember community college I guess that's what you guys call it um mm-hmm. was not an option like it is not an option like it, was, it wasn't even the vocabulary, <laughs> even growing up, like elementary school. They're like, we're, you know, we're doing all these things for you and we're like coupon clipping and we're like, we're saving like all these pennies so that we can help pay for your tuition and your tuition means you're going to university. That's like the only condition that we have in us helping you go to school, past high school, it's, like university is the only option and schooling and getting good grades was super important even elementary school and they no problem saying i can go outside and play street hockey or go to the park because there was always homework to be done if it wasn't school assigned homework like they had like i remember my cousins um it was weird. they went to school in toronto and i guess they were able to keep their books from the previous grade and so i had older cousins who were like two three years older than me and my mom would ask my aunt to be like are your kids done with those books? I mean, I have to be like, yeah, like they, they're going to the next grade. She's like, give them to me. And so I would be doing homework from like, I'd be in like grade four and I'd be doing, going to grade five and I'd be doing like grade six math homework because my cousin just finished grade six and this is. Wait, a but that
0: grade. wasn't assigned to you.
1: No, it wasn't.
0: So you were just doing homework for fun. Yeah.
1: So, so I was like, I don't know how to do this. Like so she's like, Well, you know, there's you can read and I was like, Oh my god so, <laughs> so I was doing like skip level math and like English and these other whatever my mom could get her hands on because she couldn't go to the bookstore and buy those like those like yeah. workbooks you fill in, right? She's like, yeah. Here, your cousins are done with them. They're yours now. You're gonna be read. in those grades anyway. I'm like, Okay I don't even know what the Pythagorean theorem is <laughs> Like so, you,
0: so you taught yourself ba- yeah math.
1: mostly yeah
0: wow. and, the funny, and
1: the funny thing i was never really like stellar at math like i was pretty good at it but i wasn't like some genius you'd think like doing like like two grades of homework i'd be like so good at this stuff but i was i was okay it, it was a lot of hard work that got me through the math part um but yeah like and I guess one of the other last values was standing up for myself, especially in the context of um, growing up, not looking like other kids, and when I was bullied, um, the school would call home and say, "Hey, like we're noticing in the playground, Jason's getting picked on, or Jason got into a fight." And, and this is like your classic, kind of like your TGIF, like ABC family show, where it's like. The school calls home and uh, they say, Oh, Jason's been suspended or Jason got into a fight, come to the office and like pick him up and stuff. And most parents would be like, like they'd be embarrassed. Cause like, Oh my God, like you got into a fight, like you hurt another kid or whatever.
0: Are you okay? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And my mom would like be more frustrated with me that other people might see her come to the school to, picking me up from the office as opposed to like the classroom meaning like anyone it's that a saw us, yeah anyone that saw us they knew that i was trouble and she had to come and, and it may may have been like a reflection on her like being a bad parent or whatever but then when we got home she'd ask me what happened and i'd tell it like like someone was just like pushing me or like they were kicking me for no reason so i like hit them back oh, and she'd be like good yeah she'd be like good for you <laughs> but you're suspended. I was like, you're yeah, making me look bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That part too. But like, it's like, you're suspended. Like, just don't get into fights. Like find another way to fight back. Tell a teacher. And I was like, mom, snitches get stitches. You, that that stuff doesn't fly on the playground. So luckily I didn't get into too many fights, but I had been suspended for fighting. And I was like, I think that's because like, she, that's what she taught me. She's like, yeah. don't take shit from other people yeah. especially if it's related to things that you can't change about yourself like the way you look and, like your name, whatever else so like if I'm going to fight for like stupid shit then she'd be like okay you're an idiot like why'd you go into a fight um, but if it was for stuff like this where like straight up racism she'd be like good for you stand up for yourself
0: so, my mom would come to school and, and fight with the girls like she'd yell at them <laughs> that was mine
1: yeah, my mom so... did that once, and then I was like, I can't have that happen, because then it's embarrassing for me. And then I was like, you need to stop. Like I'll, I'd rather get suspended than have my mom, fight my fights for me. Maybe yeah. it's a guy thing too. Like, as a boy, you're like.
0: Oh. No, I didn't want her to come to the freaking school. I was like, <laughs> stay in your car. You know? Because I would, like, tell her when I got home, and the next day she'd be waiting in her car for, you know, pickup, and she'd see the girls, and she'd be like, why are you, you know, like, yelling at these girls? And we were in, I don't know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade.
1: Yeah.
0: And it was so embarrassing, but I understand. Like, if some, my daughter was getting picked on and came home yeah. with you know, cuts or bruises or someone pulled their hair, I would see red.
1: I am trying to figure out how I react now as a parent. I'm sending my kid off to school. Like if that happened, like what would I do? My first reaction would be like, go to the school, tell her, show me the kid. And then like, I'd rough him up a bit or something. (laughs) I'll
0: edit that out just in case anyone hears.
1: (laughs) You feel so protective of Of course of, of them. And, um, yeah, so, uh, kudos to my mom for having, like, like, the foresight of, like, pick your battles, like, make sure the fight was for a good reason, and then, like, praise in private. <laughs> and don't embarrass me in public.
0: <laughs> Given your own experience, do you fear that your daughter might deal with stuff like that today? I
1: think... I think realistically, she's going to face both. Um, like the neighborhood we live in today, like it's very multicultural, thankfully. And the fact that she's in daycare with kids who don't look like her, and the kids who were there are the same way, um, and she get she gets exposed to like, and her teachers are even like from different, and it doesn't phase her. So for her, I'm I'm confident that she'll see people for who they are, as opposed to what they look like. Um, and then at school, I think you'll always get kids that just get raised in households where, you know, that's prevalent or that's the way they brought up or the environment around them is such that they don't get exposure to kids that look different, uh, or, or speak differently. Um, so I think she'll eventually run into kids that will just bully her for, you know, how she looks, uh, maybe her last name as well. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, just being in this neighborhood, it's less homogenous than it was when I grew up, and we're actually living in the same neighborhood that um, that I grew up in. So to see it change so much over the last twenty-five years and have more you know, different cultures and races move into the neighborhood, um, that part of me is hopeful that all the kids who play the playground after school or on the weekend uh, see each other on the playground as well and they're like oh yeah like that's just that kid or like if they knew her like oh yeah that's just Sophie like she's just the friend I play with at the playground she's just that it's not like some Asian girl that I'm gonna go make fun of right so but I know eventually at the same time she'll run into like someone called me a name or someone was teasing me or whatever it is so and we've tried our best to expose her at a very early age, like even outside of daycare, like we're fortunate enough, like me growing up and even the friends I keep today, like they come from all different backgrounds. Like yeah. it's funny, we joke as um, as adults, like we, we take a boys trip every year and we end up going to the same place, Montreal. <laughs> so Shout out Montreal. If you want to have hey. us for free at some point, there's a free tourism plug. Um, can and you so please we, sponsor
0: me, Montreal? Yeah,
1: sponsor sponsor <laughs> my voice trip next year. Thanks, Montreal. Um, and whenever we go out and we, and we take a picture or whatever it is.
0: Who were who some of the mentors that you had growing up?
1: I think it, it varied depending on where I was, like what life stage I was at. Uh, I think that my parents were kind of the constant. And they weren't the most perfect parents either because there's lots of things about Growing up Asian, that I don't want to do, that I had to endure. Um, but I think the the values part of it is something I definitely want uh, to propagate to Sophie. Like hard work is the only way to, to be successful. And especially for her, growing up where we have the means to be able to provide for whatever she wants, I don't want her to lose, you know, her her knowing what the value of a dollar is and how hard it is to earn money to buy the things we want to buy and enjoy. Um, And I think also just the education part as well, like we're fairly educated. I want her to have big goals and big dreams and and be able to, to know how to get there and part of the way of getting there is obviously like money. So it goes back mm-hmm. to hard work getting good grades and all those things. Um, and then later, uh, in high school when I started joining sports teams, cause I was this like fully assimilated guy or tried to be, um, it would be my coaches cause they, they're the ones that gave me an opportunity and showed me that if I give you an opportunity, don't feel like, um, don't feel scared to jump into the spotlight because you're being given this opportunity because you're good at this thing, like this craft. And so get in there and like own it. And I think those lessons are some of the lessons I carried in professional life. Like when you see an opportunity on the table, like, don't be tentative, like go and seize it. Um, and then, um, And then eventually like just playing sports, there's a lot of athletes I looked up to. I think I gravitated towards a lot of athletes that were kind of quiet leaders, like the ones that didn't say much, they kind of led by example. Um, And when they did say something, like everyone listened, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I guess I got attracted to like the introverts that were forced to be extroverts because of like their status in society or in the companies. They ran like Bill Gates, good example. I know he's like the biggest nerd and he hates <laughs> like parties, but like he had to be, you know, somewhat uh, extroverted. Um, and then bosses, especially in my professional life today, like they're still my mentors, like old bosses I've had. Um, they've basically the combination of them, like there's like three or four that I keep in contact with that I basically run every single career move by. It's really hilarious. They, they joke like. Like we've basically like architected your career, because you've asked us whether you should take a job or not take a job, or like, yeah, this is this a good idea, this is this a bad idea? <laughs> um, but they're they're highly influential because like they're the types of leaders that I aspire to be. Yeah. And I don't know that I'm there yet, even. And so, I, I constantly take lessons and and try to get them to tell me stories about like, you know, when you had this situation, like, what did you do? Like, how did you react as like a leader? And like, what was your thought process? And like, see if that would work for me. And then, you know, going back to like, athletes I admire or, um, you know, my parents, like, mashing all those values together to figure out, you know, is this really unique leadership style, like, right for me? And is it effective? Um, and, and what I, what don't I like about the leaders I've had? And I've had a lot of shitty bosses. Um, and so making sure, being conscious of like, what are the commonalities of things I don't like when I was under their leadership and don't bring that into your own kind of craft as you evolve it, as you're taking a leadership position. So
0: do you remember, um, you know, you talked about a lot of the things that you had and you didn't have when you were younger. So I know you're in Canada, but yeah. what was your American dream and what did you well, want? White picket
1: fence, two cars, two and a half. <laughs> kids two pets
0: (laughs) two and a half bathrooms yeah Yeah.
1: no that really was it really was especially if um i mean we grew up with that really mine is the white picket fence because we don't have a fence but um like i grew up in like this suburban like middle class house and so for me i was like i can get used to this This it's comfortable like i don't have too much to worry about other than like the random feather duster, like flying around the corner, like life's pretty good. And so (laughs) for me, it was like, if I could maintain this, what do I have to do to maintain this? And so I think, I think knowing that was the goal, starting in high school, I think I started to design my educational choices to be, you know, how can I position myself to be in the most high demand, You know skill that's going to come up or program or experience or whatever it is and so i got into computers like really early on just thinking like i'm going to bank on this becoming like a thing and then later it was like the internet like i think the internet's going to stay for a while i don't think it's going to go anywhere so it's going to be kind of cool yeah i was fortunate enough to like have those bets pay off but um i I think since getting out of uh, university the the American dreams changed because of just experience that I've had since starting work. Like I've been fortunate enough to be able to travel and live in other parts of the world where it doesn't look like how I grew up and, and seeing how people live, you know, with, with less by choice, um, and, and seeing them, you know, just as happy, if not happier. And then for me, it's like, you know, maybe it's not, white picket fence anymore maybe it's not two cars maybe it's one car or no cars and maybe it's not a house maybe it's something smaller because you know we don't need a whole lot because i've seen people live without a lot and be happy and so for me it's more about experiences and time and relationship that's the dream now it's like how can i have enough time to devote to myself or my family or cultivating a relationship as opposed to material things like buying a bigger house or buying another car or buying a new Xbox or whatever it is. So so yeah, my American dreams evolved quite dramatically over the last like 10, 15 years.
0: When you said the white picket fence and the cars, that was mine too. I just, because I didn't have that. And now when you, have the means, and you have all these really great opportunities. You're like, oh, actually, what's now? What's the meaning of life?
1: It's funny because my mom still bugs me because we live in a townhouse and we're in the middle of a row, and um, and she knows we're like way more fortunate than than what they were at their age. And they're like, why don't you just go, why don't you just buy like a detached house? And I'm like, I don't think I want one. Like, I have everything I need. I have a backyard that suits my level of like willingness to maintain it. <laughs> I have a front yard. I have a little piece of grass, which is fine. I don't need like a massive <laughs> lawn. And then my mom's like, yeah, but like, you guys can afford like a house and more space. Like the, don't you think Sophie needs more space? I'm like, no, we have three bedrooms. Like she can choose between two bedrooms if she wants to. She can choose the basement. Like we don't need more." material stuff and yeah I guess their generation is more like your house is like a huge investment and it's like your big security blanket
0: or a status thing too yeah
1: exactly and so I've never really gotten the reason as to why she wanted us to keep like upgrading and I still think she's disappointed like she'll come in and she'll be like this house house is like small it's smaller than our house like yeah that's the point
0: I have one last question.
1: Okay.
0: My question was going to be like, what advice do you wish someone gave to you growing up? Now, because you have a daughter,
1: mm-hmm. I want to
0: know like, what's the advice you're going to give her when she's growing up?
1: Forgive your parents for not knowing what the hell they're doing. <laughs> Half the time. <laughs> we mean well, assume positive intent. Um, I would, I think the advice I would give, Wow, there's so much advice I would give. I think the biggest piece of advice would probably be find your people early on. Uh, like, you never know how long it'll take for you to figure out, you know, who your people are. Let alone like actually finding them. <laughs> um, but like, find the people that add the most value to your life and aren't only your friends because they're the smartest or prettiest or funniest or most popular. And and at the same time, I'd probably say like. Keep your people, crew, like, smallish. Like, don't, yeah. don't strive to, like, have all these different groups. Like, when I was growing up, I, ha- I had that. And there were times where I felt like, how come I know so many people but I'm so lonely at the same time? Yeah, I wasn't close enough to any of them, really, to be, like, picking up the phone and saying, like, hey, let's hang out. Like, I'd see them when I see them. Like, they, I'd either see them in the sports I play or I'd see them at school or I'd see him at the mall or something, but I would never like call them up and be like, let's go to the mall together. Yeah. So I I never, that's a lesson I didn't learn as a youngster, because I was like, I need to like be so assimilated that I'm accepted by a bunch of different groups. And I never really took the time to be like, who's my group? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so that would probably be the biggest lesson. Because, like, when you find your people, like, everything else kind of falls into place. Like, they the, the right influence on you. They'll,
0: they'll support be, like, good you. people
1: to, like, support you, help you make good decisions, um, be there when you fall on your face, celebrate with you, all those things, right? And they they and they like you for you, not because of, like, my mom bought me this, like, name brand top or like whatever it is the other piece of advice to probably have is like have big ass goals and and set those early on and they could be just like as big as you want because like I mean we're fortunate enough that we hopefully for the most part can help put her on the path towards getting those goals but she has to have those goals first and so and if she doesn't know what those are that's okay but like find out and try to formulate those like If you don't know even, like, goals that she has, if she doesn't know what that's what she really wants, then, like, let's figure that out. Like, let's go talk to people who are, like, doing that and, like, see how they like it and, like, maybe walk a day in their shoes and and research and, like, test drive. Like, all these things that we weren't able to do, like, the internet is just out there. You can do so much research, talk to so many people, connect to so many different people. For us, it was, like, saw it on TV. I think it's going to do well. So I'm going to go do that. And my parents weren't like involved in any of that at all. Like I remember like, I think a previous episode you had, like you were basically proactively being your own guidance counselor because your parents were going to help you figure out the college application or like same with me. Like I had to figure out how to apply, like what to apply to, like what these different things were. Like my parents were just like, whatever money we have is there for you, but you have to figure out what you want to do. I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. I just want to do computer things. And then they weren't going to help me with it because they had no idea what the hell it was. Let alone, like, figure out what the best choice was for me. So, and growing up, I didn't have that kind of oversight as a parent. Like, my mom saying, okay, your goal is this, and then we're going to go put you in these programs and, like, have you talk to these people. And was kind of (laughs) like, do it on your own. So... I would probably do that a bit differently. I think you had the same experience where like, you're also the interpreter and do it. Like you're dealing with adult things before you're even ready. Like calling the <laughs> utility company and yelling at them or like the phone company. <laughs> like, or my mom
0: yelling over my shoulder and me being <laughs> so scared. Cause I don't know yeah. what is right and wrong.
1: Yeah. It's like the city sent us something. What does it say? I'm like, I'm 10. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't even know what the city wants to ask you.
0: Why is the city sending us anything? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, this is so much fun. I want to thank you for being one, a loyal listener, but also Absolutely. a good friend. And I appreciate that. <laughs> What was your American dream? And what did you want? White picket
1: fence, two cars, two and a half kids, two pets.
0: Two and a half bathrooms. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No, that really was. It really was. Especially if we're like me as a kid, like I'm hanging out at home like all day because we're too poor for me to go to camp. Like that was the one thing I looked forward to that day. I'm like, okay, 630. I got baseball. Like I'm ready to go. And my dad for how i don't know how he managed it but like he worked long hours like every tuesday he managed to come home on time ready to take me to baseball he wouldn't even have time to change or eat